0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to uh, the Royal Blue Podcast as we preview Everton's fixture with uh, Chelsea this Sunday. I'm joined by the Everton's Echo correspondent, Joe Thomas, and our regular guest, uh, Gavin Buckley. Uh, Joe, you just come back from the press conference, which for once was at, was at Goodison Park rather than... Um, Finch Farm and as ever, plenty on, on the agenda and uh, the uh, the penalty or non-penalties Anfield from last week and we're, we're back on the agenda
0: again. Absolutely. They, they continue to be a, a hot topic of conversation, you know, even as we uh, approach a week on from, from, from that match. Um, obviously, the club expressed their expressed their disappointment to some extent with PGMOL uh, earlier on this week when they, they wrote to them asking for clarification over the decision-making process. I think that was a fair enough thing to do. I think, you know, as we've seen repeatedly over the course of this season, Everton haven't had the, you know, the the, the rubber the green with some of those decisions. Um, and I think asking for transparency and accountability is the right thing to do, bearing in mind how big some of these, decisions are in the core seven season you only have to look at the Man City one with the the handball obviously I think the the penalty claim for Gordon was a little bit more of a gray area but again I I don't think there's anything wrong in the club trying to seek to put pressure and being aggressive on that hunt for answers hopefully it might make hopefully it might make make, make referees think think again when they when they look at these things and maybe give some of these decisions more consideration I know Gavin's got a fascinating start on this that he'll probably share with you but you know, it certainly seems that, you know, the the biggest clubs at the in front of their you know, in front of their home fans get the biggest decisions and go, go in their way, perhaps perhaps unfairly. So, um, obviously, the club wrote to them. Uh, Frank today said that PGML haven't apologised, haven't done yeah. what they did in relation to to the Rodri handball for Man City. Um, he also gave a little bit of an update on the the FA's inquiry in relation to his comments after that decision. Obviously, he said that he felt that had Mo Salah gone down in the same circumstances at Anfield, that he probably would have been given a penalty. Uh, and there were a few suggestions that the FA might seek answers from Frank over quite what he meant by that. Well, mm-hmm. Frank said today that the FA had written to him. He'd written back, he didn't discuss in full detail what was said, yeah. but uh, after that, he hasn't heard anything back since. I don't tend to know, I don't know what the time frame tends to be right. for these sort of things, but yeah, that's, they, they've certainly made an inquiry of that, but yeah, I don't think it was an unfair comment. I think I had had that been Mosala Mo going down in, in that area in front of the, um, the Liverpool fans, I think there definitely would have been a better chance of him being given the decision.
1: Gav, um, you are the club's official statistician, so uh, I'll let you trot that one out um, to, to start with. And then once you once you've given us that, you can tell us about what your thoughts are and the fact that uh, Frank um, has had that, that correspondence um, from from the uh, the games officials.
2: Yeah, this, this is this was me acting in an unofficial statistician capacity. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. on well, I've said all season, Chris, you know, we've spoken a couple of times about three or four decisions this season and and I said it again on Monday that to me the problem is referees I wouldn't say bottle out, but share their responsibilities in making big decisions that affect the biggest teams because uh, they're scared of making the wrong decision that has a detrimental effect on their, their chances, uh, because um, A, they're a big team, B, the, the, the consequences of that decision, and C, the, the, the scrutiny that they will get and the criticism they get if they, if they got it wrong. So that Man City one, if he gets it wrong um, and City, you know, awarding a penalty incorrectly against City, he's got, a referee is going to get absolutely battered. Not awarding a penalty against Evan, slightly different different thing, isn't it? And the same principle happened on uh, on Sunday. Uh, with that in mind, um, I saw through the statistics of penalties awarded um, just before lockdown and, and after lockdown,
1: because
2: yeah. the feeling was in lockdown, there was less scrutiny in games, the um, it was just, just generally less pressure, yeah. you know, get the games over with all that type of stuff. Um, in In the season before in the in the season of games, mostly, Played in front of crowds before lockdown. Liverpool and Manchester City got two penalties awarded against them in total. Um, in the lockdown season, that figure went up to 18. Wow. And in the current season, it's reverted back to one. Now, one, I mean, and I think that was—I think two of them. None of them against Liverpool, by the way. Those those penalties in front of crowds, and I think two of them penalties against City in the ninetieth minute when he went four nil and six um, right. nil. So you know, there's there's something there, isn't there
1: Yeah,
2: I, that's. So I'm not not saying, oh yeah, you know, you know, the, the, you know, sort of there's something about Man City and Liverpool as clubs or anything like that. It, it's not about them. It's about referees and the psychology of. Of refereeing, and it sort of sort of gains gains the argument that Liverpool and Man City don't get penalties awarded against them because nobody attacks them. Well, last season, City were Premier League champions, weren't they? Yeah. I think Liverpool a, a bit of a less less, you know, success, successful season than normal, but they finished still finish in the top four. But to go from two to eighteen to one indicates that the eighteen is a bit of an anomaly. in in the great scheme of things, and that anomaly is down to the fact that lockdown games are played under less pressurized environment, less scrutiny of of referees, Uh, and consequently, I I would hazard the opinion that, um, as a consequence, they felt more comfortable making bigger decisions.
1: Yeah. And I mean, on the back of that.
2: And also as well, obviously, the biggest thing within that, no crowds. Yeah. So, you know, so it's not, it's not, to me, it's not just a crowd thing. People were saying it's crowds and I put now on mm. Twitter. No, it's not crowds. It's just general, the general environment and, and atmosphere around the games. Mm. And I the mean, time the more plays, you know, not at the same time, weird times of the day and all this type of thing. It didn't appear normal. And, and I think, you know, that, that that's a telling statistic really about how referees behave. You know, and, and I get that like maybe teams did attack Liverpool and City a little bit more last season. Um, but to go from 2 to 18 to 1 is a, a little bit extreme, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I, I just think that that is probably a, a, sort of, a sort of good indicator of perhaps the differences of refereeing in it, unpressurised and pressurised environment. I'm not saying it's the total answer, by the way. I'm just no. observation as much as anything else. And you, you get the suspicion, don't you, that that penalty on from Sunday was the last year in front of no crowd, probably would have been given. Hmm. And the counter being that the penalty that Carver Lewin got last year in, in an anti-staging without have being on Sunday, wouldn't have got it. You know, I know it's easy to say such things, um, but I, I do think there's something in that, uh, to be honest with you, yeah. That's not necessarily down to changing styles of play and stuff. I think it's the way the referees, um referee games, and because they're under less pressure, just get the games over with, they were more inclined to make decisions that perhaps they against the bigger teams that they wouldn't necessarily do in front of a crowd and under the normal scrutiny of Premier League football.
1: I mean, on the back of that, Joe, um there's more questions about Anthony Gordon, how he'd reacted to that. This week, Uh, it was interesting insight from Frank, wasn't it? And he he spoke about how he's so quick on the turn, and and nobody in that room would have been able to move at that sort of speed, including himself. And interesting insight, you know, uh, as as a former pro himself, Lampard had been at the top of the game, and how he explained that and how he didn't think there was a problem with what Anthony Gordon had done.
0: Yeah, I mean, he put up a passionate defense, Anthony Gordon. He opened up by saying, as far as he is aware, Sunday's game was the first time that Anthony Gordon had ever in his senior career that Anthony Gordon had received the yellow card for, for simulation. Um, and obviously, he's, he's, he's approaching, I mean, I think he's over 50 now for, for, for Everton. So, I mean, that's, 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 that's an awful lot. Um, you know, he, he had a really good game and he caused Liverpool a lot of problems. And, you know, obviously, I think it was a deserved yellow card that he got. But you, know, you have quite a few people saying that somehow that affected the referee's opinion when it came to you know, the big penalty decision that we're talking about. Obviously, the whole point of VAR is to kind of remove that that human instinct away from those decision making. So everything should be viewed in isolation um, you know, by, by the VAR officials. It shouldn't. Matter what somebody else, what somebody's done in a game before then or not, but yeah, Lampard was you know he basically obviously the accusations that Gordon is a dive, and a lot of people all of a sudden seem to be suggesting that this is a you know a a pattern that they've seen throughout Gordon's career, which I think anybody who's been following Everton you know hasn't really seen that. It does feel like it's just a an opportunity to jump on the back of a of a player that's having a really good season on the few high points in what's been a miserable season so far for. For Everton, but you know, Lampard was very keen to defend the player, both with what he does on the pitch and who he is as a person. Um, and, and also, it's clear that, that, as we saw this on social media in his comments after the game last week,
1: you know, Gordon clearly doesn't believe that he died. Yeah, yeah. Gav, rightly or wrongly, are, are you concerned that that Gordon could get a reputation for this?
2: No, not not concerned that he'll get a reputation because. Um I think he, if he learns from it, yeah. then I've got no, no, no problem going forwards. The issue for me is if he doesn't learn from it and becomes a, you know, becomes a, a sort of um, habitual diver. Um So I think I think if I was Frank, I'd say yeah, you know, defend him in the press conference, but I'd be saying to him, listen, don't do that again, because yeah. as you see, it can harm the rest of the team, then can't it? Because there's been that stat this week, isn't it? About like, isn't it half the half the bookings for simulation and
1: Yeah,
2: players yeah. uh, six? Was was Lewis Dobbin one at Chelsea? I think. Didn't he get booked at Chelsea?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you're yeah, right. Now, a, young
2: player. I, I got a lot younger than than um Anthony. Anthony. But it won't harm him as long as Frank's had the word and said, Listen, um, Anthony, don't do that again. In the nicest in the nicest way of uh, putting it because it can't can't damage your reputation and also damage the um, the way the referees look at other players uh, in in the team at the moment. And we can, let's face it, we can do without that issue at the moment.
1: Yeah. And one thing Everton could do with with his goals, of course, Joe, and it's an area they've been struggling in. I mean, Frank was also asked about Dominic Calvert lewin It was an interesting one in the um, the, uh, the Sky reporter said to him that there have been claims from numerous sources that uh, he was actually fit to play at, An- at Anfield but was left out of the squad. I mean, Frank vehemently denied that as well. But it, 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 it's interesting, really. He says he, he's back available um, this weekend. But uh, what, what would Everton do for a, for a Calvert-Lewin goal now? But I don't. I suppose he's not even like a guarantee to go straight back in, of course, is he? No, he's
0: not. I mean... This move, again, depends how fit he is. If he's anything over 85%, I'd probably start him at the end of the day Everton need goals. And one of the easiest areas to see where they could come from, where they haven't been recently, is Calvert-Lewin. I mean, obviously, you know, before his latest injury, he had a run of you know, double-figure run of games where he didn't score and was struggling for form. but. Given how few options Everton have, I think it, he's something that they need to try and play into match fitness and form as soon as possible. Obviously, the alternatives really a Salomon Rondon, who, as we saw against Leicester, can be a nuisance. Mm-hmm. But I think he's, I think I, I don't think he's a ninety-minute nuisance. Like yeah. I think there's an argument for starting him against Chelsea if Calvert Lewin isn't fit enough to play. Um, but I don't think he's a ninety-minute or a long-term solution. And I, I don't really see Richarlison's best position or most effective position as being up top by himself. I think against certain defenses, he gets isolated too easily. And I think he's such a nuisance in the game when he plays a bit deeper. And he's you know he's effective defensively, but he's also so much better when he starts deep and he can run at players, as we saw against Burnley. You know, he had a couple of their defenders on toast throughout that game you know, I'd, I'd rather have him playing out wide, really. So, you know, I think if Calvert-Lewin's genuinely fit, I'd want him to play, obviously. And, you know, Frank's convinced that he's there and he wants to play. And, and you know, I mean, we did a and a yesterday and a couple of people asking him whether or not they thought Calvert-Lewin was feigning injury or whether, he, you know, his heart was set on a move elsewhere over the summer. He's trying to protect himself from that. And to be honest, I don't really, even if, even if he was being selfish and, there were motives along those lines, and there's nothing, of course, to suggest that he was. I don't see in any way how Calvert-Lewin benefits from not playing at the moment. Yeah. You know, If he wanted to move away, then he needs to prove that after his bad injury this season, he can still school, score goals, he can still prove effective. Even if that's for selfish means, they almost align with Everton's
1: need at the moment. Yeah. Both of them, for their futures, need Calvert-Lewin scoring goals. Yeah, Gav, how, how concerned are you with... What's happened to Calvert Lewin since the turn of the year since he since he did return to the side for the first time? And you know, how how detrimental could that be to Everton's chances? Because I get you know, I guess it could be very detrimental.
2: Well, it has been detrimental already, hasn't he?
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: it's been enormously detrimental. I mean, how many games has he played since January? Is it? I don't know, is it ten? I think
1: 11? about 11, possibly eleven, yeah, in all comps.
2: No goals. Yeah. I mean, not only no goals, no real productivity in terms of work rates, assists or whatever you would, you know, the wider, the wider picture, being de- detrimental. I've said on the pod a couple of times, I have would, a I would question, is so, wouldn't say attitude more as work rate and enthusiasm in those matches compared to previously. Um, but these problems with Cavalier go. Really back to the last season, don't I? His, 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 his Everton career is founded on two st- scoring sequences. When, just before Carlo came in, he scored two against Chelsea in Carlo's first 10 games. I think he had 10, 11 goals in those matches. So it's the end of nineteen December 19, 19 and then the first couple of months of 2020. And then obviously that's the great start last season, which was as you said talking about referees was probably a little bit artificial, where really he got 15 out of 15. But then his form's tailed off. I think he's got is it six goals from open play in his last 30-odd Premier League matches. Right. So it's a problem. That just doesn't go back to January at and goes back to last season. So I don't think it's necessarily something that's injury-related. It's his style of playing, his stance, and now that fits him with the rest of the team. So on that basis notwithstanding that, you still would have expected a couple of goals from him that could have made all the difference, couldn't you? If he'd been firing all cylinders in the first, you know, the first couple of months of this year. The fact he hasn't, hasn't helped, but it's been his overall work rate right? that has worried me, really. Um, I, I'm not convinced about that. I, I think even if fifth, I'd still play Rondon. I just think get more out of him. Um, yeah. But I certainly agree with the, the, the suggestion that it's not in the Calvert-Lewin's Best interest to, said this before, haven't you? His or the club's best interest for Calvert Lewin to sort of not have his A game out when he plays. You know, and um, it's a tricky one, this isn't it? This Calvert Lewin Rondon one, isn't it? He would go for. I get the argument Calvert Lewin, but I just, I I, I, Rondon, it, Rondon to me is we played him when he wasn't fit and I've not played him when he has been fit. The
1: Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: Well, I mean, it would probably be nice for Frank to yeah. have the option of doing, if he can, absolutely. What I want is to be able to make a decision with both of them actually being fully fit and available. Because if you can, I mean, obviously they're not the same type of player, but being able to play one for 60 and one for 30, however one way you want to do it around yeah. would yeah. be an option that he hasn't been able to utilise that often. And, you know, it could be effective.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, there's no clear case there's a clear case for Calvert-Lewin because of his reputation ahead of Rondon, isn't it? Mm. But I do think there's a case for Rondon. The fact that he is fit and has been effective when he has been on recently, compared to Calvert-Lewin's complete ineffectiveness. So um, you can you can see a case for both, and I can see why you'd favour Calvert-Lewin. But I just think Rondon is he has added something, hasn't he? Really, that calvert hasn't when he has played in the last two or three weeks. So. Yeah, I, I, but as you say, Joe, at least um, Frank's got a, a decision that actually he quite might welcome in the, in the current position. And it also means that we've then got to get away from this with Charleston as centre forward mm. thing, hasn't it? You know, playing wide left, probably. Uh, is, is
0: a question for you then. So, so say tomorrow, say Calvert Lewin, say on Sunday, yeah, Calvert Lewin's on the pitch, and we know that if he's in form, he's potentially a big danger. You know, he can score lots lots of goals, as we've seen in the last two seasons. Obviously, <clears throat> the best way of getting in that form is for him to get a goal. If Everton were to get a penalty that, that meant something on Sunday, he was on the pitch. <laughs> would, you it, would you give it to Calvert-Lewin, who obviously has taken penalties in the past and missed that massive one against, against Brighton? Brighton, yeah. Want Calvert-Lewin to step up in the hope that, he scores, and then that sparks the beginning of something that helps Everton get out of the relegation battle. Or do you I mean, keep with Richardson, Obviously, he had the composure to
1: score both against uh, against yeah. Burnley the other week. I'll tell you what I'll chip in I say I wouldn't have Calvert Lewin taking it after being there for that one against Brighton. Oh, oh and yeah, yeah. He, he does that again. I mean, I think we both aged about five years when Richardson was doing those run-ups at Turf Moor. <laughs> but... Um, at least he slotted them away. So I think at the moment um it, it stays with Richarlison for me. It
2: depends on the state of the game as well. Yeah, it? If it's eighty-eight well. eight eight minutes and it's nil-nil. I was just thinking back to Brighton where Calvin went to take him. Was it Richarlison trying to get the ball off him?
1: Because they have done that uh, they done that in the in the away game at Brighton, at the early in the yeah, season. Yeah,
2: sorry, really in, in the away game at Brighton, sorry, yeah. I'm talking about now where Calvin yeah. had it with Richarlison tried to take advantage. just I think it was two minutes and the Chelsea, it's nil-nil, I think it was Calvert-Lewin, so yeah, it's, it's all right. you can have this, <laughs> don't fancy yeah. it, you know what I mean? It's um, dream scenario, Yeah, the dream scenario is we actually get a penalty, isn't it, really? <laughs> Um You know, that, that is an enormous assumption in itself, you know, um, but now I, I think it's a, it's an interesting, really interesting question, this isn't it, the Calvert-Lewin one, and Frank was quite keen to decry those rumours, wasn't he? Um, Today, uh, but um, I'd, I'd so I I'd played on Don, but I see the case for The only The only thing is, is where do we get crosses from? Because Richarlison's not really a great cross of the ball, is he? You know, you're looking at what would you do then? The three behind Carver Richardson Richarlison, we've got you've got Richardson there will be Gordon, um. Damari Gray, you've lost three, three from four there, haven't you?
1: I mean, is that part of the problem, gap though? That, I mean, obviously when Rafa Benitez came in at the start of the season, he deliberately brought in Gray and um, and Townsend, whereas I'm not sure if, if Lampard's teams actually play like that, do they? They might sort of thread through diagonals, or whatever, but they've not got that sort of traditional getting to the byline and pulling crosses back for a centre-forward, have they?
2: No, no, that's the... Problems of changing manager during the season, isn't it really? Um, calvert Carvalho, I mean, does that, does that start? I, I can't remember because you credit to about the number of goals he scored in the inside six-yard box last season compared to this season, right? Nothing ridiculous, isn't it? Like fifteen last year, zero or one this year because our style of playing under Carlo was completely different, and that's one of the reasons why Carvalho has being so uh, short of goals. And um, so, I'm just wondering in that. You are right, Kate. Is that Calvert-Lewin style of play? Maybe not. You know, have Gordon out wide? Maybe. But it's it's an it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's not, not just the Calvert-Lewin conundrum. It's the who, who are the three. Because you can't really be hard. You can't really drop a Woby at the moment, can you?
0: No, no, I don't think so.
2: You can't drop Gordon.
0: You that was send the wrong man.
2: Yeah, you can't drop Richarlison. So you're playing them three. And he are wondering, well, where's the natural width there and and it was interesting that Gordon played wide left last week and was really
0: effective wasn't he against he was. Liverpool he was you kind of wonder if that I mean you see clubs try and do a different success obviously the slightly different scenario against Liverpool is they play with the yeah, the the fullbacks are essentially wing backs, so there's a lot of space to exploit. But then obviously a first a first choice Chelsea side does that with Reece James. As well, so.
2: Reece James, yeah, exactly. You played very well on on Thursday. They sort of do the same thing, so that adds another little bit of intrigue into the the team selection, isn't it? Is, is Gordon who, who may just be thought, who's who's win a foot race between Anthony Gordon and Richarlison? Would you say Gordon would?
1: You do. I mean, uh, the way Lampard was talking today, he'd probably be uh, back in uh, Gordon, wouldn't he? Yeah,
2: yeah. I maybe I don't know. It's just an interesting one, isn't it? Really. Yeah. But at least we've got some options there, which we've not necessarily had this, it, yeah. had, had this year, have we? Really? Good to say.
1: Well, Joe, we, we've obviously mentioned that covert Lewin is fit again now, and Yeri Mina will return, having been le- left out—not injured yeah. as such, but rested because he'd returned from that long-term injury. Um, just played against Leicester City just a couple of days before the derby. But, I mean, it must be a blow to hear today that Ben Godfrey is is now facing a, a race against time just to feature again this season.
0: Yeah, again, it's, a, it's another disaster. Uh, in, a, in a disastrous season on the, on the injury front for Everton, mm. um, with, with Donny van der Beek also still out as well. Yeah, um, Obviously, Godfrey... Godfrey had been quite impressive, I think, before his absence against um, Liverpool, even even in the Burnley game where obviously it was his tangled clearance that ended up allowing Maxwell Corny to score the winner. I thought he'd had a really good game. You know, it was a game where he was obviously had to do a lot of work in the air, but he, you know, he, he did it really well in, in that match and against Man United. He was excellent. Obviously you, know, you have you know, Ronaldo there, who's arguably the greatest aerial threat in, you know, in, in, in modern football in yeah. history. And, and, and And Gordon, uh, sorry, and uh, Godfrey was winning everything in the box. So, you know, he got himself to a point where he's one of the first names on the team sheet to the point where, you know, you remember against Leicester, obviously, Yeri Mina came straight back into the side. And the big question, if Mina came back, was going to be who would partner him? Would it be, you know, the kind of more established, more experienced Michael Keane, or would it be, Ben Godfrey and Lampard made a massive call by starting Godfrey. And I think Godfrey had earned the right to be there. So you see this kind of just frustrating part of Everton's season. It's just as one player starts to come back and you think, oh, I might have the opportunity to play what we believe to be our best 11 or certainly the most informed 11. You, know, you pick up another injury, Godfrey's gone on, and now, end of the season. And you know, if we're in a situation where Everton are wrapping Nina up in cotton wool and almost yeah. trying to select the games he's going to play, you know, try and almost sacrifice him some, for some games so he's available for others. Well, it becomes a whole lot harder when you've got your, probably your most informed centre-back missing throughout that period as well, because, you know, again, it's, it's, you're looking at mean and managing his fitness and then selecting alongside him. Keane, in fairness, to Keane played, played reasonably well against them, um, particularly, bearing in mind, he came in at such short notice, but you know, Keane, Holgate and Brantfwaite, aren't you? And, you know, God, losing Godfrey from that is 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 significant. Um, you know, those, those last, obviously we've got six games of the season, then the last four you know, basically come in two weeks. We, you know, hopefully I mean, it's in a situation play all four, but again, it looks like as we have been for most of the season I think they're going to be in a situation where they're managing, you know, battered players, you know, hoping some get back to fitness, hoping some can you know, putting performances maybe when they're 75 80% and, and just somehow crawl over that finish line.
1: Yeah. How big of a blow is it, Gaff, losing Godfrey?
2: Um, I think if Mina's fit, not a massive blow because I think Kino's looks a far better centre half of with Mina, doesn't he, for the start? Well, I think they all look a better centre half with Mina, don't they? Um, so I think if Mina stays fit, I actually. If you, if Mina's fifth for four or five of the last six games, I don't think that's a, that's an issue for us. I think that there's an issue for us if he's only fifth for two of them, yeah. or one of them. If um, you're
0: in a situation where you end up with Holgate and Keen, then that becomes a little bit more worrying, I suppose. Basically, yeah, yeah.
2: We, we, we're sort of like we saw last Sunday. We, we're sort of forced on a certain type of playing, then aren't we? Which is sit deep you know don't don't take too many risks at a time when we probably need to be going for victories you would imagine at some point i mean at at some point between that i was thinking about this about last people saying oh these are the tactics going back from the derby that we need to employ between now and the end of the season at some point in the next six games we're gonna have to win probably two of them go out and actually win two games or something like that at least and you know so therefore it needs to change the tactics and what we saw last sunday and have just is, is a key thing of that a key part of he's you just got more confidence in your defense than haven't you really and, and your shape and um i think you know that, that 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 that's his presence is so so important for us isn't it really yeah. um compared to compared to everything else. So, yeah, if B is fit, not got a problem. Not, that's not the right phrase. You know, Godfrey being injured, is not so much a, a concern, to be fair.
1: Before we move on to the Chelsea game itself, um, Joe, I mean, you were down at the club offices today, and there's been a, a, an announcement in terms of um, obviously we you know David Dunsworth has, has, has left the club, and he had two roles there. But the club are advertising for a, a new academy director, a new head coach of the of the under twenty threes, and then it's all part of the strategic review that's been going on. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, a lot's been made of the strategic review, though, whilst whilst the term's been been bandied around a lot by those at the club to suggest yeah. that there are, there are. Irons in the fire about perhaps improving things uh, at backroom level and at Finch Farm. Obviously, there hasn't been a great deal of information about what the parameters are of that review. We know that it focused on particularly the football side of things. Well, you know, it's been been led by the board. Well, you know, we're starting to see some of the impact of that now. Obviously, David Unsworth left, and when he was in position, he was you know both. Academy director and, and, and manager of the under 23s, I think the fact that they've decided to split those roles up into two separate jobs is, is yeah. pretty significant. And that's something that that comes as a result of the strategic review. I, mean, I think Kevin Falwell, in particular, has looked at that situation there and thought, you know, that's too big a job for one person. And, you know, I think part of it is, and it's obviously something that has been crying out for for, for a while but just a, a more joined up more professional more pragmatic approach you know i think we've seen the last few transfer windows obviously moved yeah, if, if they've pivoted to a point where they're spending less money obviously the part that has been enforced on them as, as they try and you know the profit and sustainability rules well going forward i think there are there are a lot of there's a lot of improvement that can be made in the new setup you're know, trying to create a pathway that is more prolific at bringing youngsters through into the first team and also trying to make more of those players who come through in a are, are great talent but then perhaps aren't quite good enough to make join the first team you know how many of them have we seen that have left on freeze or left the small sums of money and then gone on to you know reasonably decent things when you look obviously you know across the city to Liverpool and you know how many times have you sat there and, and looked at players like you know Ive and Solanke and places like that. And the, the double figure million pound sales, which which is crucial, crucial income for the club. I think, um, so, so this, is, this is obviously part of the strategic review. And I think it's a positive step moving forward. It's one of those where I think when you look at some of the decisions that are being made, they have the potential to have a significant positive impact. The question now, well, one, there's an argument to say some of these things might be too little, too late. Um, but at least those decisions are being made in the first place now and perhaps setting up, you know, Liverpool, and perhaps setting up Everton for a more sustainable future, you know, uh, and copying some of that model that, that, that Liverpool has seen. But also, you know, you just hope that they'll be able to be given the space for these things to, to, to blossom, these ideas to come into fruition with Everton still in the Premiership, because obviously if Everton go down, then, you know, these things become a lot harder to, to, to implement and, you know, there'll be a um, far more big and far-reaching decisions on the football front to be made that, that might affect some of the, the good ideas that might be coming through this part of the review. Yeah.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, Gav, there's a bit of a wry smile from, from you there know, when, when Joe said a bit too little, too late. Yeah. Um, No, 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 didn't mean it like that. Yeah, are you are you encouraged though from from what you're hearing, what you're reading on this respect? Because like it might be, you know, like I said, that too late for this season. I mean, that what will be will be in that respect. But the club actually getting their house in order in respect to this element of, of the club.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's never too late to change, is it really? I mean, the more this goes on, Joe, you were talking there about, you know, what's the parameters, what's the terms of reference to this strategic review? Well, from from the sort of early sort of findings and decisions that have been taken, it's obviously the academy and the, the structure of the club, isn't it? And, you know, recruitment and player development and how, we split the you know the, the academy and the under, you did a piece before job so about splitting the the under 23s away from the management often away from the academy overall. So I, I don't expect to say, and I might be wrong, and they say big glossy documents of 30-page, mm-hmm. you know, full of full of nice photographs of Everton strategic review. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and the why this is the wise move for me would be a sort of gradual number of changes that occurred over a period of time into some significant movements within the club. And you're seeing you see the start of that already. I suspect mm-hmm. that because the earliest ones have been at academy level and had two or three appointments there as well, that that's where the club think we're, where we've been going wrong badly over the last
0: four or five years. It. it feels uh, like there's been a recognition that perhaps the approach and the strategy hasn't been but like it certainly hasn't been successful. I think there might be a recognition that the lack of success that's come from it might be partly because of the decision-making processes in the first place, yeah. you know, from everything from academy level to, to recruitment and, and, and transfers and even, you know, manager selection. So I think it's, you know, it's it's positive to see that these issues are being addressed and, uh, you know, a kind of a more professional, sensible uh S- system for decision making is being put in place
2: at the, at the club that's yeah yeah I absolutely i mean i think the key one is and, and it should never done on the first place you can't be in charge of the academy and the under 23s at the same time mm-hmm. can you because there's, there's a conflict of interest there at the start because what might be good for you you managing the under 23s might not be great for managing the under 18s but you've okay. got responsibility for both and um i think i think that that's a key thing for me um that that, that uh, division of duties there so yeah, I, I think it's. I think in that area, I think the changes that have been made and the, the movements of people in and out over the last month, six weeks, has been quite encouraging and, and gives us something to work with.
0: I think one of the the, the positive things as well is, for, from all accounts, Kevin Farwell and Frank Lampard have a positive relationship. Yeah, and I don't think that's always been the case between directors of football and managers under the Mesiari era. era. So if you've got Lampard and Falwell singing off the same hymn sheet, that can only be a good sign. And again, it points to a more sensible, more professional, more strategic um, kind of process going forward, which could help lay the foundations for progress. Again, the the, the big question, and it's one we'll know the answer to in a couple of weeks, is whether or not it'll be given the chance to, to, to develop and yeah, you know, the we'll see the long term benefits of it because again, you know, if if Everton go down, whilst you know they may be brace and have contingency plans for relegation, you know, the, the, there's no doubt that that'll have a you know a seismic effect on the club because it would do for anybody in you know, regards to them situation.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. The what the other thing and this is to do with the strategic review. There was an interesting um, comment by that while where he said about. David Dunsworth leaving gives us an opportunity to split mm. both roles. <laughs> Read into that what you, you will. Um, obviously, they found it difficult to separate the roles while Dunsworth was was there because he did both, which is quite you know r- remove the person, remove the problem, as uh, somebody once said. But I- I'm not sure both it was like that. But it, it just gives Dunsworth. going is just given more opportunity for. For change and stuff so that's all uh-huh. that's all good stuff and you know the, the chat the, the next the biggest challenge for me and this is for another day completely is mm-hmm. the biggest challenge on, is, is recruitment to the academy isn't it people mm-hmm. think is it, that everybody's academy graduates are all the all the same standard but the best clubs turn them into mm-hmm. players because they've got better coaches better, better training, and all that type of stuff more joint approach Th- that's not the case some clubs especially in south london say have a have far greater pool of talent to, to to um to recruit from and i think for us going forward it's not just a case of all the good stuff that's coming out of what you know kevin that was saying and all that it's it's recruiting the best people we can in the first place isn't it that'll give you the best opportunity of developing them and i think that to me is the big big um challenge at, at academy level mm. i mean i mean i don't know the standard of youtube but there's no way us three could be recruited to the academy and turned into to premier league football well, and, not a uh,
1: our time life but um yeah you know we missed the boat you, unfortunately
2: no, he <laughs> didn't see me on wednesday night either, Craig. <laughs> and, you know what i'm saying is it, it that, that's i think it's a bit unfair when people say oh eddie evans academy doesn't work and it, it's Sometimes you've got natural disadvantages at academy level where you can recruit from and who you're competing against. And um, what we need to do, and we have natural disadvantages in the northwest, as you could well imagine. Um, To me, it's it's maximising our the way we, you know, our chances of getting better, better graduates, you know, better, better people through the um, through the door in the first place at academy level.
1: Yeah. Well, start let's get back to the here and now and uh obviously we say this every week now and it's increasingly so huge game <laughs> and um a bit chelsea i mean I, I was talking um today with some colleagues and we were saying about away at chelsea that's actually everton's longest winless streak in the premier league not one less since november 94 so but let's forget that they did take a point there this season at everton at goodison park everton have actually got a winning record against chelsea in the Premier League, um, it's going to be a huge game, like I said, Joe, and all the the fans are going to be out there greeting their coaches. Certainly, it won't be for the lack of trying from the supporters, as always. Um, if I don't get a result this weekend, it's going to be it's going to be another you know huge atmosphere. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and and you know we've seen already in recent weeks against Newcastle against against uh, Manchester United and I think the Gladys Street I think they basically sucked Richarlison's uh but bobbling ball into yeah. the into the net in the last uh, last few minutes of yeah. um of the, of the game against Leicester and you know even like away from home saw it at Anfield and Sunday saw it burn the are stuff by the club they've been fantastic and I think there's a recognition from the supporters the now is the time to kind of unite and be behind the club, and it might be the end of the season when it's the time to to ask questions or you know, to ask questions more vociferously about how the situation has been allowed to develop where Everton are in this position. And I think I, th- I think that's probably the, the the right thing to do at the minute. You know, just focus everything on trying to create an atmosphere and an environment in which the players can get the most out of the remaining six games, and then. Yeah, we've got a whole summer and to then ask why was the situation allowed to develop and, 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 and call for of that and I think it's good to see the, the fans you know uniting behind the club in its time of need they always do you know yeah. they, they shouldn't be the fans don't deserve to be in this position in the first place but it'd be so easy to get on the backs of of the players and get on the backs of the club right now and that would almost certainly had a detrimental effect on the chances of survival. You, know, you only saw it, just think about the Leicester game um, the other week where that first half, Leicester was, for whatever reason, they were significantly better than Everton. And even at, when it went off at halftime, there was still a bit of applause, still cheers, that the fans didn't boo them off. And they would have been within their rights, I think, to have booed them off. It was such a big game. and The start had been so poor and they were 1-0 down in... What wasn't a must-win game, but was certainly a must-not-lose game that, you know, I thought the fans would have been justified to have, to have expressed their frustration at play. So they didn't. And, you know, they they, they stayed behind them and it and ended up in that last 15 minutes when, again, good as someone's a cauldron, we had Rondon on. You know, all right, changing tactics, but just all of a sudden, that those last 10 15 minutes, them created a lot of chances. Obviously, Coleman missed one, London missed one, Charleston missed one before he eventually scored. And, yeah, you know, that had a massive help in gaining what could be a very valuable point at the end of the season. So I think that obviously fans would rather we were in a position where we're talking about, um, you know, lying in the streets for the coaches to arrive and things like that at that stage of the season. Or if we were then doing it because the challenge at the other end of the yeah. table. But given the circumstances, you know, I can only applaud the supporters for getting behind them in the way that they're doing. And fingers crossed it'll have a positive impact. And when these questions are being asked at the end of the season, it's from a position of, can't allow this to happen again, rather than, you know, we've gone down and everyone's
1: in mourning for Everton's for Premier League status. Yeah. Gav, I mean, how would, how would you approach it? Obviously, they played in a certain way against the top two, Manchester City and Liverpool. Been encouraged by them displays, but ultimately came away with no, nothing do you think they have got a chance? I mean they've got a recent that they've got a good recent home record against Chelsea haven't they? Albeit Frank Lampard's Chelsea.
2: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I think they have won the last three isn't it? Uh yeah. I don't think we played the same way against Liverpool as so we did against City did we we a lot more say a lot more we 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 played further up the pitch against City yeah. didn't we? Um, we had a well-balanced midfield, um, so I think I'd play against, like we did against City, not how we played against Liverpool. I think you, you, A, you're at home and Chelsea are a different beast and a different place to what Liverpool are. We could have done with them winning last night, really, couldn't we? Chelsea. Because um, they've still got, I don't know, six or seven points, it, to guarantee top four. So... They're in a different place. What City and Liverpool were, so I played like we did against City. Get the get the balance in the mid. They're The only thing we played, we had the proper three midfield against City, didn't we? Is that the only game? Was it Vanderbietercorey? Alan, is that the only game? Right, with
1: the, with the three possibly.
2: Yeah, we look well balanced in midfield. Then um, we may not be able to utilize that on on Sunday, but the same sort of mindset. That we had against Manchester City, I think, would be would be important. I don't want to see sort of eight men behind the ball at all times, and occasional you know, phrase by Anthony Gordon down the left as being our only mm. only attacking option. I think a little bit more offensive like we did we against City, and I think since we got easy got results on on Sunday, this is this, is, this is our most important game in Premier League history since well our last Premier League game. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I was thinking before. In this, these six games, you know, these are as big as what we've ever had in our history. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. These are absolutely. I'm trying to. Th- I can't think of any any other set of games that's been more important to the future of the club than these six coming up. The
1: Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, I was trying to cast my mind back Garth, to to, to ninety eight, and I don't know. It it's it felt different. I think that in that you accepted it to a certain extent, accepting that oh, it was okay. But you you realised that that team had its its limitations, and for, certainly for me, that was the that was like the the, the worst Everton team in history, given that the, the talent within the team. I don't I, I don't know Whereas... You just think that they shouldn't be in this position. I know that you and I might disagree over what is the true position of this Everton team, but it certainly yeah. should be more than the point of game.
2: What um, did the side when we played Brighton, eleven to fifteenth, as a squad?
1: Yeah,
2: It's felt like, and it We've snapped your was, hand off for that. Now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very more towards fifteenth, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. it's it, it's different to ninety-eight because of the the costs involved of yeah. going down and. Difficulties are getting back up, and the players you got to lose, and the money be spent and Bramley Moore and all this. There's, there's so many more factors now compared to '98 and '94, which is just a very much to stay forward to get relegated, and then you come back up at some point. Um, this is, this is, this feels slightly different, doesn't it? Because of yeah. all those, those factors, and that only adds to the the pressure. And now Jamie Carragher said today, didn't he that? It would be the biggest delegation in Premier League history if they go down, but let's hope we never have to to uh, to reach that point. But it only adds to the pressure of the games. But if we if we bring the, the fight determination organization we've sh- we shown against Liverpool, then we're capable of getting points off Chelsea and and Leicester, certainly. Hmm. We, but the problem we've got, we've got Burnley playing on. And I know this piece again in the echo this week about the the so, Burnley always play before us. You did that, yeah, didn't you? I did that yesterday?
0: I mean, a bit of a. It? It's the same with Leeds as well, where yeah. yeah, they they every set of fixtures they play either before or at the same time as us. So the only Jerry Times, and that's not the case, is when Everton play Watford, which is their game in hand on Burnley.
2: Yeah, but
0: Leeds play that night, so it's not that they play the game in hand on Leeds until the penultimate game of the season on the you know, on the Thursday, the May the nineteenth. So. You know it's on the one hand obviously if, if those clubs slip up and Everton are catching up and overtaking them then that's that's a positive thing but yeah. i think each each set of fixtures it effectively land it allows one of those to the opportunity to inflict that psychological first blow of a weekend on obviously you know tomorrow Everton could be going to going to sleep yeah. five points off burnley
2: I, I, absolutely and you know never in our history as a burn against wafford figure that- fixing it tactic so much okay. <laughs> the same number of people interested in it as a normal effort game i've just wondering, by the way will that affect our the results of that can affect our tactics on sunday safe for Watford one that's i mean it's a good question on, on uh i'd say tomorrow because they you know they do have the moments what yeah. won tomorrow bernie got beat I
0: Frank... think the reality is that i think i think in the situation Adam, they're currently in they, yeah. they need to win games
2: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think at this moment in time, they, they need to win games rather than play for draws because the attraction, especially bearing in mind Leeds' situation, you would, I mean, it's not pre written, but you'd anticipate that Leeds would lose to City. And then obviously, they're on their own difficult run. Yeah. So and a win against Chelsea would seriously drag Leeds into it. And it would drag Leeds into Everton's orbit at a time when. Everton have got better fixtures than Leeds, so you know. Yeah. It, they, you know, if if Everton were to pick up points over the next few over the next week, then you know against against Chelsea then is there's, there's a chance that Everton might be above Leeds, which again psychologically would be huge. This is okay. very
2: optimistic stuff, this Joe. Oh, uh,
1: come, come on, then let's let let's go <laughs> to the chase. Um, we'll go to you then, Joe. Prediction for Sunday: Everton versus Chelsea. Uh, Everton.
2: Two 0 Everton, Go Oh, Joe, I'm loving that. I'm loving
1: that <laughs>
2: um, Do you think it's going to be one of them goodison days? Is it? Do you think? I
0: think so.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a hard end one nil win for the Toffees. Uh, I love the penalty scenario, by the way. Mm. It's, going to, it's going to happen now, isn't it? It is. I mean,
0: well, I mean, we, we should celebrate the fact that we'd get a penalty. if that's Yeah,
2: the game, it's going now? to happen. We will get a, for all the talk. All week about Everton and penalties and PGM, whatever they're called, and <laughs> FA and all this, we'll get a penalty up. <laughs> so
0: it's in the stars, is it? season go by, they'll then miss yeah, it. Yeah. The uh, yeah, Anthony
2: Gordon, it yeah. yeah. Anthony Gordon pulled down in the box. <laughs> Everton went 1-0. I don't care how Everton went yeah. one but there I've been on. I'll,
1: concur I'll, I'll concur with Gav. I'll with you, Gav. 1-0 yeah. Everton, so that's it. There you go. A clean sweep. Patrick. We've all gone for a clean sheet as well. Happy days. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Well, regardless of what happens, we'll be back with you uh, next week. We'll be picking the bones out of that for uh, Everton and Chelsea, and then obviously look forward to another. Well, I can't say I'm not sure, sure about looking forward. Could be looking forward to another crucial um, week. What is a, a real dogfight at the end of the, the Premier League season? But I've uh, been your host, Chris Beasley, joined by Gavin. Um, Gavin Buckland by Joel Thomas and this has been the Royal Blue Podcast you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo